Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Being a father is uh, one of the uh, great privileges and joys of life, especially when you have perfect children. I know there are many of you out there who have perfect children, right? But my children are so perfect, they're going to sit up, pay attention to every word, and not fidget because they are perfect children. Reminds me of a story of a little girl who was at the dining room table with her dad, and she looked up at her father and said, Daddy, you're the boss in the family, right? Dad smiled and was feeling really good about himself, and he says, That's right, my little princess. And she continued on and said, That's because mommy put you in charge, right? Well, fathers, you get to enjoy this one day you're in charge, all right? Father's Day, so take advantage of it. You know, when I was putting, uh, thinking about what to talk about today, I, I came uh, to the conclusion that, you know, let's talk about our Heavenly Father. We are honoring fathers today, but I would like to take some time this morning to honor our Heavenly Father. And we're going to look at it specifically with this idea and the concept of adoption. Our text this morning comes from Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, is up on the screen there, and it'll be from the ESV, and I will read it. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Hear the hearing of God's word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many blessings. And we thank you, Lord, for being our Father who art in heaven. And we do hallow your name this morning. And we ask you now, Lord, to take this word that we're going to open up and unfold and apply it to our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, as we leave today to recognize that we are your children, having been adopted into your family with all the benefits and blessings that you have given us. We pray that you would just use this time for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Fatherhood. You know, interestingly, in the Old Testament, there's not a whole lot mentioned about God as Father, very sparingly. In fact, though, in Exodus 4.22, when uh, God is speaking to Moses to go to Pharaoh, he says to him, Go tell Pharaoh that Israel is my son, my firstborn son. We really don't begin to see this idea of fatherhood until we come to the New Testament, when Jesus specifically uses it over 165 times in the Gospels, 17 times alone in the Sermon on the Mount. So fatherhood is something we think of God the Father. The Old Testament, there are verses that talk about, explain a little bit, but really it comes alive through Jesus Christ as he points to the Heavenly Father. Not only his Father, but he says your Father as well. And in today's passage, we're going to look a little bit at this idea of God as Father in our adoption. 
In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he highlights our relationship with God as sons of God through our adoption. But before we get into the text, I just want to give you just a little bit of background. I don't like to dive right into books without explaining a little bit. In the book of Galatians, there's a problem going on in the church. And Paul highlights it in Galatians 1.6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You see, the people in Galatians that came to know Christ through Paul's preaching and others' preaching who believed in faith were now turning to a different gospel. And that different gospel was one where there were these people called Judaizers that would come into the church and say, in order for you to be saved, truly be saved, not only did you have to have faith in Christ, but you had to do works as well. You had to be circumcised. You had to follow the teachings of the law. And Paul saw this as a problem, and he needed to address it, and he addressed it quickly. So in Galatians 2.16, he says, A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. Then he goes on to say, no one will be justified by the law. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, he's saying you all started believing in Christ, that Christ was your hope and Christ was your righteousness, and now you are starting down this path to say, well, that's not enough. I need more. I need to add some works. I need to get circumcised. I need to follow this letter of the law in order to be accepted. And Paul is going to deal with that. And one of the ways he deals with that is helping them to understand who they are in Christ and the benefits that are bestowed upon them. And one way he talks about that is through this idea of adoption. In today's text, there's a lot of meat in there. We could delve into this and be there for a while. You'll see the Trinitarian nature of our salvation. You see how God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is involved in our salvation. You see the mention of the humanity and the divinity of Christ in those verses. You see the relationship between the gospel and the law. But instead, this morning, I would like to focus specifically on this language of adoption. A great theologian of the 20th and 21st century named J.I. Packer, some of you may have read his book, Loving God, made this quote. He said, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of our adoption. That's a pretty startling statement. You see, we in this Presbyterian faith and Reformed faith, we love the doctrine of justification, right? You saw today in one of the Cambridge Declaration. Justification by faith alone. It's a beautiful doctrine, a great doctrine. One that came out of the Reformed uh, period of time. Martin Luther definitely took that, uh, that particular doctrine and expounded it and made it great. But where does that justification lead us, ultimately, to our adoption. It's one thing to be justified, but it's one thing to be adopted into the family of God. You see, justification is a forensic idea. It's conceived in terms of the law. We view God as our judge. Adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children, as his heirs. You see closeness, affection, and generosity on behalf of the Father at the heart of our relationship. To be right, to be justified with God is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God is even a greater thing. Adoption moves us from the courtroom to the family room. 
I was trying to come up with an example, and it's very, uh, 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 it's a crude analogy, and it falls in many different ways, but there is something to it that I want you to think about. Imagine yourself committing a crime against an individual. Let's say you went to somebody's house and you stole from their house, okay? And then you appear in court before the judge, and you realize that the judge is the one from whom you stole from, okay? And so the judge gets up there, and you are guilty as charged. And the judge, because you offended him, he chooses to forgive you of that charge and of that debt. He justifies you. He says, I, because you sinned against me, you, you have committed this crime against me, I am the authority figure, I am going to forgive you of that debt. You are not guilty. Now just imagine, he, then he says to you, by the way, why don't you come over to my house tonight for some dinner? You'd be startled, right? You'd be startled. But in many ways, that's what God does to us. Not only does he justify us, he forgives us of our sins. But then he says, I want to make you part of my family. I want to bring you into the household of faith to share in my fellowship. Again, justification, God is a judge. But in adoption, God is our heavenly father. A few points today that I want to hit upon. Number one, our Father loves us by adopting us into His family. If you notice in the passage, the objective of today's passage is to make us sons and daughters of God. Verse 5, so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see here, our Heavenly Father is very deliberate, very intentional in adopting us into His family. He sends His Son to redeem us with the ultimate purpose of adopting us as sons into His family. In fact, that Greek word for adoption means to place as a son. The the adoption principle was understood during that time in Rome. It was a lot different than it is today. Today, when we think of adoption, normally we adopt infants, small children. But adoption back then was usually done for the ruling class, the richer people, who needed a son to carry on the, the ownership and the management of the household. And so normally you would see people that had money that did not have a son would go out and try to find a young man that they believed was worthy that could carry on their tradition. And many people would do it because they would get a nice sum of money. Can you imagine, oh, you can have my son to be part of your family. In fact, Julius Caesar adopted Caesar Augustus into his family. Nero, many of you have heard of the emperor Nero. He was adopted into the family of Claudius. So when people heard this idea of adoption, they understood that there were legal benefits that came with being an adopted person. But just like the Roman adoptee, we are heirs through God. Ephesians sheds a little bit more light on this plan of adoption, and I would like to read that. And for you that were in Sunday school this morning, you heard this particular verses, but they really provide and amplify a lot about our adoption. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption 
to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Do you see that it was before the foundation of the world? He chose you and he chose me in Christ to adopt us into his family. There is intentionality there. There is a deliberateness about it. It's God coming. And he chose us, oh, by the way, not because we deserved it, but because of his good counsel, because of his love, because of his will. The Bible says what? For all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.10 says we were enemies of God. Romans 3 says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There was nothing in us to cause God to want to adopt us into his family. In fact, we were against God. We were at odds with God. We were blinded to our sin. We did not want to be Adopted. Not only we were orphans, but we didn't want anything to do with God. We were without hope because of our blindness, because of sin. C.S. Lewis commented on this ignorance when he said, listen to this, he said, Infinite joy is offered us, but we are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we don't imagine what a vacation by the beach will be like. In other words, he's saying... The ignorance there, you have these kids in the ghetto, in the slum, the poorest of condition, making mud pies, and they think that's all the better it is. And that's what we are, lost in our sin. We think this is it. This is the best. We don't even want to be adopted. We don't want to follow God. We don't want to be obedient. It started with Adam. He said, you cannot eat from that tree. Adam and Eve said, well, I want to eat from that tree. And we do it every day when we sin against God. There is nothing lovely or beautiful in us for adoption. It is only by the mercy and grace of our Lord. Despite our sin and our ignorance, God deliberately and intentionally adopts us as his children into the family of God. And how does he do this? Number two, our God does this by sending his son and his Holy Spirit. He sends his son. He gives his best. And here we get to the Trinitarian nature of salvation. The father ordains it. The Son purchases it, and the Spirit applies it. God sends His Son, verse 4, and His Spirit, verse 6. You know the verse, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 5, 8. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our Father in heaven gives His very best. He gives us His son. You know, we tend to focus on Christ's sacrifice, which is rightly to be focused on, because our Savior came and died on the cross, bore our sins, became incarnate. But sometimes we neglect what the Father had to do and what he had to go through. We just can't imagine him being separated from his son. And not only was he separated from his son, but he had to watch his son get. Killed by human beings. And he had to watch his son also have the punishment of sin poured out upon him. So that we might be righteous in Christ. He poured out his wrath and judgment on Jesus to pay the penalty of our sins. That is incomprehensible. I don't think we really grasp and understand that. You that are fathers out there, you know that. If you ever had a 
a child and you knew that that child had to go through something really, really difficult, you would go in their place, wouldn't you? You cannot bear the pain to watch them through. I remember when I was, uh, when Jackson was a young man, he was about 18, maybe two, two years old, and he, he was playing with a table and pulled the table down on him and he sliced his toe. We had to take him into the emergency room. Had to wait a long time to get in the emergency room. We finally get in there. He's a little guy. He doesn't understand what's going on, but they're going to do an x-ray on him, you know? And so you'd have gotten x-rays before they put those big, heavy uh, uh, things on top of you so you don't get the radiation. And here's my little boy, uh, you know, barely two years old, crying and fearful. And it's like, it, as, a, as a father, you know, that just rips your heart out. Well, God, when he had to pour out his wrath on his son because of our sin, how much love does he have for us? How great the love of the Father. We need to thank God for sending his son, Jesus Christ. We also need to thank him for sending us his Holy Spirit. Not only does the Father give us his son, but he sends the Holy Spirit into our hearts by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit comes in to regenerate us, to cause us to be born again to a new hope and to draw us to the Father. We see this idea of adoption again. It's only mentioned in Galatians and in Romans. And in Romans 8.15, it says, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It is the work of the spirit in our hearts that enables us to recognize we are now children of God. That we are now part of his family. That word Abba is an Aramaic word. It means father. You've heard some people translate it daddy. There's been some discussion and debate whether that really means daddy. But the, the issue is it's talking about the relationship of a son crying out to a father. In fact, we see that one other time with Jesus, right? He is on before he's in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 13, 14, 36. And he says, Abba, father. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives to let us know that we are sons and daughters of God. People will say, well, how do you know that you're a Christian? I always say, I just know. I mean, the Bible tells me so, but it's more than that. I know. I have a, I have a conviction in my heart. I know I'm a son and daughter of God. I'm a child of the king. How do you know? Well, when you get in trouble, when difficult times come, where do you go? Do you run to your father? I run to my father. I run to my father. He is our father. He's given us his Holy Spirit in us to allow that connection with God. And the spirit of God is given to us to empower us, to lead us, to guide us into all truth, to convict us of our sins and to teach us about Christ. That is a gift of our adoption. We need to thank God for his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit that lets us know that we are sons and daughters of God. Number three, our Father loves us by giving us an inheritance. An inheritance. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Aren't you glad that God's not like the people that have the bumper stickers on their car? I'm out spending my children's inheritance. Any of you have those on your car? Huh? 
Well, God spent our inheritance through Jesus Christ when he shed his blood on Calvary for our sins. And he has given us an eternal inheritance. I love Peter. 1 Peter 1 verses 3 through 4. Great promise of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We talked about this for you We're in Sunday school class today. It is all the work of God. Do you see that there? Where is that inheritance? And it's in heaven. He says it's imperishable. It's undefiled. Unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. Who by whose power? God's power. Are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. Our inheritance in Christ is secure because of Christ's work on Calvary. We don't have to worry about losing it. That's one of the great assurances of Christian faith, I believe. There are people out there that struggle with that idea, that doctrine. But God did the work through Christ. He's given us the inheritance. It's not based on what we do. It's what he did on the cross. But we believe in faith, asking him to be Lord of our lives. God does not adopt us and then later kick us to the curb. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Not only does God provide our inheritance through our adoption, But implied is that, that he meets our every need until that day when we shall be with him. He takes care of us. He's our heavenly father. Read the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. Jesus talks extensively in his Sermon on the Mount about our Father. Matthew 6, 8 says, For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Matthew 6, 31, when we're talking about, you know, worrying about what you're going to wear tomorrow. Where's your food going to come from? Jesus says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Implied in our inheritance in the future is our inheritance for now. My God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory. We need to thank God for our inheritance. Pastor Joe talked a little bit about the Westminster Confession of Faith, and I have a chapter up there I want to put up, if if you could put it up there, Michael, on adoption. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter number 12 of adoption. It's a great summary of our benefits and privileges that come with adoption. And I I put it up there because I want you to read it. I'm going to read it. But just pay attention to the words. All those that are justified, God vouchsafes. Well, let me explain what that means. That's one of them old English words. Vouchsafe just means to give or grant someone something in a gracious manner. So in other words, it's saying that God graciously gives in and for his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, have his name put upon them. You know, next slide. 
Here, another one there, Michael. Here we go. To receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness and enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as Father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. So rich and so full. We saw many of these ideas in today's uh, text in Galatians. We get his name put upon us. We receive that spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. We are enabled to go to the throne of grace. We're able to come to a most holy God through Jesus Christ because we've been adopted into his family. My kids can come up to me and ask me for things. They don't have to fear and worry. They may not always like the answers that they get, but they come to me as as their father. We can go to our heavenly father. We do not need to be afraid. We go because of what Jesus Christ did for us. We have access to the throne. We're enabled to cry, Abba, Father. Notice we're protected. We're provided for. We're chastened, disciplined. That's another way you can know you're a believer. If you've been taken to the woodshed a few times by God. How many of you have been taken to the woodshed before, huh? (laughs) He disciplines us. Hebrews 12 talks about that, right? He disciplines those he loves. So when we fail, when we sin, many times he chastises us because he loves us. That's all part of being an adopted child of God. But notice it says we're sealed to the day of redemption and we inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because what? He first loved us. So with that in mind, that he loved us first, we are to love others. Now, you can't get away with a Father's Day sermon without me hammering the fathers a little bit, right? I used to remember growing up as a kid, you know, on Mother's Day sermons, the sermons were always very nice about how mothers are great and love your mother and... But for fathers, it was always like, you know, you need to do this better and you need to do that better. So I'm going to keep with that tradition. (laughs) That's all I know. A few application points for fathers that we can learn from today. And really it applies to all of us if you think about it in our relationships. Okay. You know, Jesus said, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to who? Your father in heaven. Number one, fathers, we need to be deliberate and intentional, purposeful with our children. God was very intentional and deliberate in our salvation, was he not? Before the foundation of the world and the appropriate time, he sent Christ. We need to treat our children like that. We need to be purposeful, intentional in their lives. Many times we treat them haphazardly. Instead of acting, we react. You know, I was thinking, what's a good example? We have a lot of military people in here or been in the military, but hear me out on this one. But you need to look at your children more like a PowerPoint slide. How many of you ever done PowerPoint? If you've been in the military, you've done PowerPoint. Briefings. I, I, you know, put together a lot of briefings, sat through tons of briefings. I... But there are people that are PowerPoint rangers, we call them. They can just come up with the 
the greatest slide ever. But to make that slide, they have to put a lot of time and effort and energy. And, and some of us, you know, you'll spend hours creating slides that look just perfect. Do we give that kind of detail and attention to our children? I know I don't. I failed in that area. The most important presentation isn't that briefing you're going to make to the general, but it's going to be the presentation we have to make to God one day when we have to stand and he looks at us and says, what have you done with those talents that I have given you? I know that's a little hard, but we need to, as fathers, we need to see that. We need to be deliberate and intentional with our children. Number two, we must love them even when they're unlovable. Christ loved us when we were unlovable. The Father loved us when we were sinners, when we were enemies. There are going to be times where your children will disappoint. They'll appear to be unlovable, but we are to love. And you know that applies to all of us and how we deal with people, whether it's with your spouse, whether it's with your siblings, whether it's with your friends, people in the church. There are going to be times when we're unlovable. We do things. When God adopted us into the family, he didn't adopt us because we were pretty, because we were nice, we were kind. He adopted us because he loved us. Number three, we must give our best to our children. Give our best. Number, God gave his best, right? He gave his son. He gave us his Holy Spirit. We must not give second best or leftovers to our family. I know we live in a busy world. It's busy. Lots going on. Many of you, you know, finding the time can be difficult, but... Children are important. Children, it says, are a gift from God. They are stewards. We are stewards of that responsibility. And then number four, we need to pass on to our children an inheritance. Not spend it before they grow up. But I'm talking more not a financial inheritance, although that's important. If you can do that, that's great. But we need to provide them a spiritual inheritance. We need to provide them the example of Jesus Christ. We need to be pouring into their hearts the gospel of Jesus Christ. The most important thing one day for our children will stand again is what have we done for them in Christ. We need to pass on something that's lasting. Being a good citizen is a great thing. I want my kids to be good citizens being responsible adults and going out and making a living and not being a burden on society. I want them to be responsible, good adults. Getting a vocation, a choice that you know adds benefit to society. Those are all, all important. But I think sometimes we get those mixed up with what's really important and eternal, and that's our, who we are before Christ. Because, you know, when you stand before God and I stand before God, it's not going to be how much money I made, how high I climbed the ladder. It's going to be, were you obedient? Did you follow me? Fathers, pass on to your children an inheritance. Give them something that will last for eternity. I close with this verse, a great verse. There's a song to it, and it's 1 John 3, one. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. This Father's Day, I hope that you have the Spirit of God in you bearing witness that you are a child of God. And if not, 
Open up your hearts to him. He's knocking on the door of your hearts. He wants to bring you into the family, into the fold. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your plan of adoption. We thank you for, before the foundation of the world, calling us to yourself, sending your son at the right time to die on the cross for our sins, making us your own. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've given to live within us. It bears witness with our spirit that lets us know that we are heirs. Father, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, I pray your spirit would open their hearts and bring them into the family. Lord, if there's any that are struggling today, I pray that you would just encourage them. Let them know that you're their father. Let them feel your presence, your love, your power. I thank you for every dad that's here today. And Lord, it's a, it's a tall duty. It's a great responsibility to raise children. Lord, we need help. We need grace. We need wisdom. I pray you would grant that. Again, we thank you for your time, your word that you've given us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.